Now come along and listen to us talk with the Bonja. Go and have a lovely little walk with the Bonja. Let me put it on and go to bed with the Bonja. Or grab yourself a slice of toast and spread with the Bonja. Hello and welcome to Bon Jam, with me, Simon Jeffrey, and I'm joined by the Safin to my Sanchez, it's Mr. James Turner. So is that a little clue as to which selections you're going to be choosing for today's episode? Could be, could be. <laughs> now, back in our episode, um, I believe it was the Allies yes. episode, we received some correspondence, and one of those correspondences was from my nephew, Leo, who asked us a question about our favourite villains. And we said at that point that we thought that was such a big topic, it deserved its own episode. So this is what we're doing now, and this one is for you, Leo, as well as all our many adoring fans out there. So uh, today we'll be taking a similar approach to what we did back then, taking some uh, the best and worst of our personal choices, as well as a bit of discussion about what we think makes uh, a good or a bad villain. So, uh, I mean, that, maybe that's a good place to start, James. Uh, yeah. What is a good villain? What do you look for in a good villain? Um, how memorable they are for a start. Um, do you understand their motives behind their plan? Yeah. Um, Perhaps I hadn't really considered much to do with their plot or their plan so much as just really their impact on the film, mm-hmm. their charisma or their uh, characterization. Yeah. You know, the cast of characters of any given film is a bit like different colors of paint on a palette and for me like every character should be a different color to you know to contrast to bring something different to to the film yeah and to sit in amongst the pantheon of all the many villains that have come before as being something unique and memorable that that they bring to it if they're a sort of carbon copy of a previous villain then that might dock them some points in my opinion and same goes for uh, hench people, hench men and women, um, which we might touch upon as well, because in doing this uh, this topic, it was I found hard to distinguish what made someone a main villain as opposed to a, a hench person. Uh, yeah, because there are also certain films that may have two main villains as mm. as the main villain essentially. So absolutely, um, some films have definitely got multiple main villains. Yeah. Um, and whether or not that character might be working for someone else, that doesn't necessarily make them a henchman in the sense of what an archetypical hench person does within, you know, within film law, within the James Bond world. I think it's more down to the role that they play in the story rather than, you know, whether they are literally the top of the chain of command or not. So do you want to kick us off with perhaps one of your... Top picks for uh, a Bond villain? Yeah, so one of my favourite villains, as, and has always been one of my favourite villains, is uh, is Max Zorin in A View to a Kill. As played by Christopher Walken, of course. Indeed, yeah. Um, and there are many reasons why I like uh, Christopher Walken's Zorin. I love the scene where he's on his computer uh, and he's trying to find out who Bond is. And it comes up that he's he's dangerous, 
uh, and he gives a little, little, little smirk. Yeah. Um, or a little laugh, even. From memory, I think you may have even put his laugh in the Hall of Fame, did you not? Did I? Because uh, he even laughs when he goes falls to his death as well, as which is it just just shows how insane and and uh, crazy uh, Zorin is uh, as a character. For some reason, his only closest allies isn't is Scarpine and Carl uh, Mortner. Mortner, a yeah. Carl uh, Mortner, yeah. Um, yeah, he willingly kills all the other people who. Uh, he thought he cared for uh, things like people like Mayday. Yeah, he is a truly sort of psychotic megalomaniac in the sense of the word. Yeah, he cares about no one for very long. Yeah, very few trusted confidants, and and that makes him kind of scary and unpredictable. He would, you know, just shoot someone dead for the sake of getting them out of the picture, or or simply even for his own amusement. Sometimes. Yeah. Um, very charismatically played, and I think it came at a point in Roger Moore's films where he was obviously getting on a bit in age, and to cast him against someone younger and so full of energy, yeah, I perhaps perhaps didn't do Roger Moore any favors, but in, you you could argue that it that it presented a different and a unique challenge for Bond that he hadn't sort of come across as actually almost being outmatched yeah. physically, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, in terms of. Not necessarily brute strength, but in terms of youth and energy, mm. um, that this is a more sort of, more of a techno threat, more akin to sort of a, a Gustav Graves type figure yeah. almost in terms yeah. of like, you know, the the younger, more tech savvy generation, um, and obviously Christopher Walken brings his unique kind of energy to the performance yeah. to make him memorable, uh, regardless of what you, you think of the film. I know we're both. We're both uh, fans of A View to a Kill. We've both got a soft spot for it, but we also acknowledge that it's not universally <laughs> loved. Um, yeah. But I think even the people who don't like the film as much... He's a great character. Uh, he's psychotic, and uh, no, I think he's uh, one of my top villains. So shall I Shall I uh, add to this, this list? Yeah, let's go for it. As I say, you know, th- there's some grey area between whether they're main villains or henchmen, but... I'm going to go with one that I think is absolutely undeniably the uh, you know a a big bad main villain. I'm going to sort of go for the very first iteration of Blofeld. Oh, okay, right. The unseen iteration. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, not necessarily the main villain of those films in which he appears, mm-hmm. but certainly the the big bad at the very top of the chain of command above the villains of those individual films. So it's that shadowy figure that we don't get to get information. Yes. About. He obviously did go on to become the main villain in later films, in You Only Live Twice, in Diamonds Are Forever, and On A Majesty's Secret Service, and of course later on in Spectre. But I, I think in terms of establishing a kind of iconic recurring nemesis mm. those early films really set this up this idea and, and you could argue until the cows came home about whether or not the later films lived up to this um promise but at the very least to begin with in from rust with love and thunderball there was this man at the very top who was untouchable who was you know bond never got anywhere near he kept coming across his underlings and his number twos and his uh, you know, second in commands and all these other 
disciples from Spectre. But very early on, it established, yeah, but there's this other guy behind it all, and Bond's not coming close to him yet. Yeah, yeah. I would argue that, you know, the Donald Pleasance version didn't really live up to the gravitas that had been established. It was a sort of different characterization by that point. But I'm sort of separating out these iterations of Blofeld and, and sort of singling out in terms of its contribution to the mythos of Spectre and establishing this sense of scale and threat of this organization. I think it just deserves merit and mention, you know, based yeah, on I, 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 I never even thought about the, uh, the unseen Blofeld really, but I think he adds so much intrigue and mystery, mis- mysteriousness to, uh, who he is as who, who is uh, his identity is, mm. um, makes you want to find out <clears throat> more about him, but just teases you enough. Cause if you think, specifically about those plots of from Russia with love and mm. thunderball you could tell those stories without that character in it yeah but it would just be a story about bond taking down a guy who's doing bad things yeah 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 and you know but with blofeld at the top of all of this and behind all of this you can watch those films and think well sure bond has succeeded now but he hasn't got to the root of this yet yeah yeah and it always it had a more sort of uh, I guess more of a franchisey feeling beginning to grow a bit yeah, more. Yeah. Of a, ooh, maybe one day he'll get there, but he hasn't done. He hasn't got close yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm sort of thinking contextually within the time period when those movies were coming out before we knew what they were going to go on to become. It established this sort of figurehead, this archetype of cinema that went on to become copied and parodied and i think that's what that's what kind of specter gets wrong i think the film specter is that he's just kind of introduced straight away and then they kind of retcon the fact that oh actually yeah he's been behind all of it all along and really there's not been enough of that shadowy figure beforehand for it to suddenly make sense um as as with a lot of the later craig films they have attempted to retrofit some kind of through line and continuity mm. that wasn't obviously considered to begin with yeah they were trying to pretend that this was always the game plan and it so clearly wasn't and i think it harmed the overall feeling of his his tenure yeah but yeah i, I just I'm, I'm gonna gonna start off on a strong bold icon it's not a performance so much as as just a you know, an archetype being forged in those early films. No, that's a good choice, good choice. Have you got one, James? I'm going to choose one here that I didn't think I would choose, but the more I think about it, I, I don't see why he wouldn't be on my top list. So I'm going to go for Alec Trevelyan. Um, I'm not one of those people who goes, oh, GoldenEye's the best Bond film ever made, and all that, that. But, but Alec Trevelyan, in fact, that GoldenEye does have a great list of uh of villains in there and obviously in GoldenEye, the the person at the top is Alec Trevelyan and the fact that he is a former double O agent he's double O six we see him at the start of the film working with Bond um as well as and then we see the darker side to him too I think he is Bond's equal uh in every way and the the fight at the end where they are going toe to toe they are fighting each other. And they are using similar moveset, and you know it's, it's a great fight at the end. 
Uh, I think that's what makes Alec Trevelyan a really good villain and different to the villains we've seen previously in uh, in other Bond films. Yeah, I'm I'm sort of relieved that you've brought up Goldeneye because I saw him on the list and I just thought he doesn't really hold that special place for me personally, but I feel like we might be attacked for missing him off the list. So he has had a mention and I'm, I'm and and I and I agree with what you said. I always enjoy Sean Bean. Let's just get that out of the way. <laughs> and his chemistry with with Brosnan is is great. He's very physical and, and like you say that fight with Bond feels hard hitting and well matched. Mm. Yeah, like he ticks all these boxes in terms of being that that sort of different flavor of Bond villain that that we were less familiar with at that point. Um, and so I'm glad that he's got a mention. I wasn't going to single him out myself, but I think I can concede that he is one of the most memorable. And like I say, it's because I think it's because of the fact that we've not seen really too much of the other double O agents, other than little teases from in other films, such as Double O Nine and Octopussy. It was probably perhaps the biggest role we've seen of a double, another double O agent. And they've always generally been portrayed as kind of just people in suits attending briefings and yeah. things like in Thunderball. Yeah, yeah. It's always been hard to imagine them as being even close to being equally matched to Bond. Bond has always been portrayed as the best of the double O's. Mm. You know, for the first time in Goldeneye, we got a character that you could believe if he hadn't turned, he would have been equally skilled and equally as capable as 007. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, good shout. <laughs> Do you want to go for yours next? From one that, you know, maybe you were playing devil's advocate to some extent there and going with someone that you didn't necessarily have such a, an affinity for, but you felt like you needed to recognize, you know, the kind of global appeal of that character to some extent. I'm going to go the other direction here. I'm going to recognize someone whom perhaps is not as frequently recognized. I'm going to go for Elliot Carver. I'm glad you said that. I'm not. Got, I'm in exactly the same position where I'm not going to say him, but I'm. I'm glad he's getting uh, getting recognised in this episode. Because I've heard criticism, I've heard reviews that sort of laugh and jeer and sort of say, "Oh, you know, he's he's not a physical threat. You know, he'd be easy to take down if Bond and him were hand to hand. There'd be no contest. That his plot is kind of laughable in this day and age." I reject that argument outright yeah. because it's not this day and age. It was the 90s, you know, and, and, and saying, oh, it's basically like Elon Musk or Rupert Murdoch or someone like that. Well, yeah, but that's kind of of its time. Imagine some social media guru or entrepreneur attempting to use his powers for great, great damage and warmongering. Um, but as I said at the start, what I'm looking for is a character that doesn't retread the same flavors that we've tasted before the same textures of villain not filling the same mold we've seen before yeah and hot on the heels of sean bean as being an equally physically matched and intelligent villain we have someone who would probably get beaten to a pulp by pierce brosnan hand-to-hand but then join the club you know that like plenty of villains are intellectual not physical I'm not going to mention this particular name as its individual mention, but in terms of a controversial pick that I genuinely considered fighting the corner of, I'm going to you know draw a comparison with Dominic Green, you know, as a sort of different type of threat. They don't have to be physical, but he held power 
over Bond. You know, he held power, like Elliot Carver holds the power uh, over the, the news coverage. He has this sort of tense control over particularly the news in China, which he's kind of exclusively got access to, and the power that that gives him, and the power of um, manipulation of those facts and fake news, and uh, it, it plays into a lot of topics that are still prescient and still relevant, regardless of how quaint it might all seem when it's to do with newspapers, extended beyond that into social media, which they would have done at the time if it was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just think... Jonathan Price gives a really spirited, enthusiastic, energetic performance. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think he's ahead of his time, essentially, as a villain. Um, because I think the the power of the media now is much more dominant than it was in 1997. Mm. Um, so I think he's more relevant as a villain today than he than he was back then. Um, so I, I, I agree. I think he is... a uh, a really strong villain uh, regardless of its lack of th physical threat and I think what's motivating some of my choices is a wish to sort of fight the corner of the little guy from time to time and, and not just simply to sit here repeating the most quoted iconic villains of the series and just sit here going oh you know your gold fingers your doctor nose and you know, all this stuff other podcasts have probably done that but I'm here to stand up for my personal picks of what I look for and you know if I've got one one villain that's sort of ticked one box, then I'm looking, you know, the next one on my list, I want to tick a different box, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, me I mentioned Dominic Green there. Like, that would have been a very controversial pick because I know some people hate him, but, like, I don't hate him. I, I find him entertaining, you know? And I almost, I almost did just to sort of stir some controversy there, but he's sort of cut from a similar cloth, I would say. I think... I just think Elliot Carver does it better. Yeah. But I, I like that type of villain. No, I agree. What's your next one, James? So my next one might be stealing your potential next one. Um, Go on. So, because the other people I've got as backups were uh, actually henchmen, but um, I'm going to say Sanchez because he, he mentioned him before, so I presume and you might mention him anyway. But... Um, I, he on, yeah, he was on my shortlist. Yeah, but, uh, that's fine. I'm flexible. That's, that's fine. That's fine. Um, yeah, Sanchez as a villain, I think. Again, I like villains that are different than the villains that we've seen previously in other Bond films, or that fall into that mold of, uh, you know, world domination, or you know, that sort of um, stereotypical villain. He is completely different than anything that's been before. And he is, I think he's a frightening villain uh, as well as because he's so um, personal with the way he attacks um, those who oppose him. Yeah. So obviously he's obviously ki uh, kills uh, Felix Leiter's wife and obviously essentially nearly kills Felix Leiter himself. But Bond's mission uh, leads him to essentially befriend Sanchez. And, you know, for the majority of the film, Bond is friends with Sanchez uh, and yeah. that's something we've not really seen before because usually you only see him undercover and talk with him as if they're friends for a short period of time. With Sanchez, Bond takes time to go undercover and Sanchez trusts Bond eventually. Um, when he finds out Bond's true identity, then obviously chaos erupts. 
Uh, and I love how brutal Sanchez is as a character. Yeah, he's sort of the opposite of a lot of the characters who show no loyalty to anyone. Like Zorin will gun down his own men. There's there's plenty of villains who are like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sanchez makes a point of saying that he values loyalty and to the point where you almost pity him when he's betrayed by Bond. If he yeah, wasn't, yeah, if yeah. he hadn't been doing such despicable things, you'd almost the the admiration that you sense is you, you feel is kind of genuine. Um, yeah. But in the same way as some of those characters, he's, he's still perfectly capable of being particularly brutal and sinister to the point where you think the moment that Bond is discovered to have been manipulating him, it's quite scary that you think, oh, he is going to be so angry now yeah, because he's hurt. Not because he doesn't care and he's detached from all of this, but he's going he's gonna to take this personally now. Yeah, and yeah, yeah like he did with Crest, and it didn't end well, you know. <laughs> and he's just a drug dealer. He's a drug dealer. Yeah. You've got Kananga, I suppose, who's similar, but this is, it seems a bit more, uh, no, street level almost, uh, in terms of v- villainy. Yeah, and I like I like that mix across the series. I like the villains that are, that are sort of like up in their volcanoes, and I like the ones that are down at street level, like you say, um, and different different levels of threat, and I think that's fine to have... You know, not every one of them needs to be world domination. Um, so yeah, I totally agree, and I would have said it if you didn't. Good. <laughs> I'm gonna. So I think what we decided was because it's quite hard to pinpoint exactly when a villain becomes a henchman or a, a you know a henchman becomes a villain. Mm. That we're that we're gonna do like three each of of what we consider main villains, and then we're gonna give a shout out to a couple of henchmen because otherwise i think you know maybe all the good ones would be main villains and then all the all the worst ones would be the you know the pointless henchmen that maybe don't do anything yeah, yeah. or barely have a name or whatever um and i think there is some separation to be made however my therefore my final pick for a villain a main villain i'm going to be deliberately controversial and pick what you would almost certainly call a henchman. <laughs> okay, go on. Seems as I stole one of yours anyway, so... I'm going to go for Red Grant. Yeah, I mean, I... He is essentially the main villain. And I sort he of... feels like the main villain. Yes. And that's what I'm judging this on. I'm basing it on a few things. The, the fact that he is such a prominent part of the film, he is the main physical embodiment of villainy in that film Mm -hmm. you know a lot of the other characters are absent or top level kind of not involved he's the only one really present and interacting with bond in any significant way and those interactions with bond are some of the best scenes from the entire series yeah and so that's partly why i've chosen to, to single him out now but also I've decided to class him as a main villain because I think if you class him as a henchman, then it's no contest whatsoever yeah, among yeah. the other henchmen. Yeah. <laughs> if Red Grant is, is a henchman, then surely he is the greatest henchman <sighs> there has ever been. I mean, he does. He is, he's part of the plan. He's When I say part of the plan, is, a lot of this is his plan. So yeah. I feel like a henchman just does what he's told. And I feel yes. like Red Grant 
is is clever. He's smart. He knows what he's doing, and he 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 thinks for himself. And I think uh, yeah, I mean, if you think like what other people might use to describe a henchman as oh, you know, someone who's working for the big bad at the top, but I don't think that quite cuts it as a definition. You know, I've heard characters like Renard described as a henchman. Mm. I mean, he's yeah. clearly not. No. He's another main villain, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think we discussed it in our episode about From Russia We Love, and we single out his performance there. He starts off as almost a purely physical threat, and it's incredibly effective, and then he starts to talk, and he starts to gain this sort of in- level of intelligence, and... He, that doesn't diminish his character at all. It, it it actually makes him even more threatening. The fact that he's got the brains to match the the physical aspect, and not only does he sort of give Bond a run for his money, you actually believe no, he would beat the crap out of him. Yeah. <laughs> like, he, he would uh, he would win probably seven times out of ten. I reckon. And I think Bond knows that yeah. as well. Uh, yeah. And so that is their interaction, especially at that, the the final train sequence. That scene, you know, Bond is essentially realizes is 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 in a tricky situation there because mm. he knows how dangerous grant is so that that that's my final pick for the um for the main villain categories yeah because i've tried to make each of the three to kind of represent a different type of villain there a different texture yeah so i mean i could have mentioned kananga yes yeah i could have mentioned any number of the different Blofeld interpretations, the Telly Savalas, or, or mm. you know, a lot of people would probably say Christopher Lee, Scaramanga. Yeah, yeah, I've seen him high up on people's Personally, lists. I'm not going to say that. Um, <laughs> but there are a lot of good, strong villains. And I think for me, what I look for is someone different from something we've seen before with a motivation you can follow and an energy and a charisma and a a consistency of character that you can kind of almost if not get on board with like Mm -hmm. in the case of say Sanchez where you might understand some of his betrayal and stuff um, then someone who is at the very least acting consistently within their within their mindset you know and someone who lasts in the memory yeah 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 memorable memorability is that a word? Memorability? Memor- 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 memorability? Memorability. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so if we then just briefly expand the, the definition of a villain to include, you know, perhaps some henchmen, yeah. are there any that stand out to you as worthy of particular inclusion in this sort of top five? Um, I, I I have a few. Um, I mean, do, do you want to mention just... Just, yeah, well, let's just... let's round it off so we have five each. Let's just do two more, two more hench people. Two more hench people. So uh, I'm going to give one to Necros just because he could very well just be another blonde-haired guy who just does the job and is strong and is there just to act as 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 muscle. But he's more than that. The way he attacks that MI6 safe house, it shows how. Uh, dangerous he is and how clever he is uh, I think that's a top a top sequence and then obviously he kills Saunders in a really brutal way so it shows you know how what his assassin um, abilities are as well as and then he dies in one of the in a really cool action sequence as well out, out of a 
uh, a moving plane. So I think for for me, Necros is is up there. Yeah, um, he was on my list, and now I'm struggling. So okay. <laughs> sorry. There's there's some henchmen where I think, oh, he's there top, and then something happens in a film where they ruin the, the that particular character. So I'm thinking people like you know Winton Kid. Jaws is a top villain, but is ruined by Moon. By, uh, in jo- Jaws was on my list as a sort of iconic. Uh, it, it, you know, just a just the vision that the the sight of the characters one of the, yeah yeah one of them odd job as well not that he's ruined i didn't really consider him to be honest like yeah. he he is probably the archetype kind of most famous hench person henchman yeah um so my my other choice would be xenia on the top because mm-hmm. uh of the different threat i know uh i, I didn't mean to go all golden eye heavy but uh <laughs> xenia on the top um as someone who's a different villain in terms of the femme fatale uh, that we've seen in previous iterations of female villains. Yeah, uh, she is somebody who is incredibly deadly and uh, is physically matched against Bond. Um, yeah, I, I I definitely considered Xenia on the top. I think um, my own experience as a child, I didn't particularly enjoy her, so it put me off the film sometimes. <laughs> Honestly, she was just a little overly sexual for my young, young sensibilities. I was just like, "Oh, I don't, I turn, turn mute the volume." She's <laughs> screaming too much. Um, but I mean, I I could be contradicting myself here. But one of the ones in my uh, shortlist for mm-hmm. hench people is actually someone who arguably is as much a main villain as anyone else. But it's Fiona Volpe. Yeah. 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 I mean, if you said that, you know, Red Grant from from Russia With Love should count as a villain because, you know, the plan is a lot of his plan, then the same could be said for Volpe, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I think so too, <clears throat> because, you know, she says she's the one that says, I'll be the one that kills Bond. Yes. Uh, she, but you know, she, she commands it Largo at that point. Just within the context of the structure of that film yes, and the archetypes yeah, yeah. that are presented... Largo is very much the main villain of that film, and she is presented as the sort of second to that as a, as a femme fatale archetype. Mm. One of the most successful archetypes of a femme fatale character that we've seen in the series. Like, very capable, yeah, incorruptible, and, you know, one of the few people in that era in particular to be able to withstand the charms of Bond and still maintain allegiance to her cause um, yeah. with absolute commitment and dignity um, that, you know, you'd follow her into battle. So she was on the list. I think I had um, a few others on there. I had, you know, cut from a similar cloth to Necros, I suppose, would be Dario from License to Kill. Just this sort of sinister young kid almost this Benicio del Toro plays yeah yeah um but just that glint in his eye he wasn't sort of on the very short list but I just wanted to shout him out and then yeah I think it's a good shout out and again just falling back into my own personal favoritism Stamper from Tomorrow I, Never Dies Stamper, <laughs> honestly Stamp, I love Stamper as well he was, he was on my short list but I didn't mention him so I'm glad you have um I like that he talks as well as being physical He's not, mm. you know, we might get onto some of the other characters in the series that are a bit more forgettable, but I don't find him forgettable. He might be a little bit derivative of what's come before. He might be sort of 
a, a bit of an amalgamation of the blonde hair from Red Grant and the physicality of Jaws or any of these other tough guys, but the fact that he kind of just has a sort of soft-spoken wit to him at yeah. times, yeah, yeah. particularly when he's kind of bragging that he's hoping to break Dr. Kaufman's record on Bond for keeping him alive <laughs> with these torture implements. You know, it's just... <laughs> He's funny as well as being yeah. a real yeah. genuine threat and you believe like, oh God, Bond would not stand a chance. Even Brosnan at his strongest would not stand a chance oh, against yeah. Stamper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's sort of no nonsense and uh, you know, you do for the first time you see the film kind of spend a bit of time wondering how Bond's going to beat this guy. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I know that's personal favoritism. I've got a huge soft spot for Tomorrow Never Dies, but you know, he deserves mention. I, I, I agree. I, I don't think he gets enough mention, Stamper. Actually, uh... there are, of course, you know, characters who I enjoy immensely, like Teehee or Jaws, in his first incarnation, at the very least. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah. I enjoy Mayday. I enjoy Gobinda from Octopussy. Um, but personal choice came into it a lot of the time here. And uh, and uh, th- those were the ones that, again, they're either playing on my own sentimentalities towards a particular film or, you know, just picking a different flavor that hadn't been represented by some other picks. But, uh... but I think it speaks volumes that I found it easier to find vi- villains that uh, are good than it was for me to find villains that yeah, are not real, so good. Really hard to narrow it down. Because some of the villains that I think are bad probably aren't that bad, but well, compared to some of the other villains... Then... Let's get on to it then. Yeah. Let's get into your first pick about uh, of what you were able to scramble from the list. Like, what's your first pick for a bad villain? And then, 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 then just talk a little bit about why that is. Well, I, I am going to go for another character that you've previously mentioned... Uh, and that's Safin. Oh, you took my pick. <laughs> um, right, well, let's just, just both share this pick and yeah, let's well, talk I'll, about I'll, why do, that do, is. do you want to talk first? Because I feel like I, I've stolen that one from you. Um, no, no, no. It's your, it's your pick, your pick. And I do enough of the talking here. The, the so problem you, with Safin you... is that he's introduced really well, I think. Um, uh, the scene where he, he confronts a young Madeline um, with the mask... He sets himself up to be this really menacing, scary, bad guy. Yeah. And then when you find out, well, when you find more information about him, his his motives don't make sense. Um, he just sits there and just talks like he's meant, to, like almost like a stereotypical villain. Yeah. And he he just doesn't bring anything new to the villain universe. No, uh, no I think uh, I re- vaguely remember we did that uh, games with James not long ago mm. that was reviews uh, and and one of the reviews mentioned in particular the fact that his characterization is is kind of just pulled from the playbook of previous villains and just a, co- a loose collection of characterizations from other characters just mm. I'm not entirely convinced that it makes sense the fact that he was around when Madeline was a child. I th- no. I think he's miscast. I think Rami Malek is too young. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Um, I think they've tried to convince us that he's older than he is than the actor is. 
is that I wonder whether that's why they've, they've put the scarring on his face because there's, there's there's no need for that other than the fact that he says oh that's what Mr. White caused or yeah. whatever. But I, I think that maybe that's is that to try and hide the fact that he is young as an actor. Perhaps, I yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'll come back to this once we've done our list, but I think it just that there's an aspect of like kind of stunt casting. It feels yes, like yeah. the latest Oscar-winning actor just walks into the role. Yeah. Whether it suits them or not, it's like cashing in on a moment of popularity for a particular actor and, you know... But um, because you don't understand his motives, because the point is that he wants to get rid of Spectre because of everything they've done and stuff like that. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. That that part of the, his character makes sense. But then the fact that he wants to then distribute uh, some virus across the world and stuff, that doesn't connect. Uh, there were rumours that some of the delays to the release of No Time to Die were caused by trying to rework the plot, perhaps because the plot centred around something that they didn't want to focus on during the pandemic. You know, there was this issue around contagion and not being able to touch people and spreading this nanovirus, you know. That one particular reviewer claimed that it almost looked like his performance was pieced together in ADR with cutaways and shots over the shoulder uh-huh. and stuff and I, w- I wonder if what we got in the end was the original intention for the character because as you say there seems to be no motivation for no. for him beyond him achieving his goals <laughs> why does he carry on and the, I mean there was a, a strong rumour that he was meant to be Dr. No and they were going to redo Dr. No Yeah, and I, I sort of wonder whether that was the case he gets called Doctor at one point, uh, even though he's never introduced as one. And yeah. it does make me think that a lot of his character was changed a lot, and because of that, that might have ruined his overall character anyway. For transparency, we've recorded The Spy Love Me and then this episode. Now, there's a chance, depending on when our other episode gets recorded, we might swap the order of these. And we touched upon in that episode how a film like that doesn't invite scrutiny because it's not taking itself seriously and so it doesn't invite that level of scrutiny towards plot points and Mm. consistencies and motivation and things like that and in a film like the spy love me you don't need to answer well why is stromberg doing this what's his motivation yeah but in a film that takes itself as seriously as no time to die does and other later movies it becomes so obvious when someone does something that's illogical and mm, yeah. unmotivated. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, and um, and he was, you know, first name I came up with on this list. So I think we can both have that one as our first pick. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, and then I'll move on to my second one, and we'll just uh, yeah, go for it. So this one's going to pain me because I recently declared this as among the top, if not my favorite Bond movie of all time. I've got a huge affection for it. I recently travelled to Vienna and visited many of the locations that feature in the movie. I'm, of course, talking about The Living Daylights. And so it doesn't give me great pleasure to put Brad Whitaker on this list. Uh, I have put him on my list as well as... Um, but go on, why, why, why have you put Brad Whitaker on there? Well, a, a part of this and a big part is probably personal and it's probably shared by you as well. Mm-hmm. Because although The Living Daylights was obviously first, I know that we both saw Joe Don Baker as Jack Wade first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. And 
and I feel like he suits Jack Wade more. I yeah. feel like it played to his strengths more. And obviously he'd worked with Martin Campbell before and that's how he got that in into Goldeneye. But as Brad Whitaker, I just feel like I don't hate him at all. I don't dislike him even. I just think I'm always sort of slightly aware that he's not the best character in the film and, and not even playing the best character that that actor has played in the Bond series. Um, I, I, and also, I, I just think slightly underdeveloped. I think hmm. give him more to do and let him establish his personality a little bit more. Let's have a bit of context as to why he's involved. You know, there's some stuff that's amusing about him, his obsession with war and uh, his, his collection. But ultimately, I think this is nowhere near the kind of saffin levels of problematic no, characters. No, no, it's no. just, you know, I had to pick someone and it, and I picked him. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I've been trying to figure out my own. I did look at some other lists to see where other people have placed him. And, and I actually saw one with Brad Whitaker quite high up, actually. But I personally think he's quite miscast. I think I agree. I'm I'm willing to put a lot of it down to just personal perspective and the order in which we came to these films. However, I think you could easily, or other people may have easily, put Koskoff on the list. Now, I th- I think Koskoff is fine because I like his softness because it plays into the, the fact that he's convincingly a defector and he develops mm. a fondness for Bond and therefore he, he can't be obviously villainous. But I think that because of that, the film needed someone to be more sinister. Yeah. To be a little bit more of a strong villainous presence to make up for the slightly unorthodox villain that we have in Koskov. Yeah, it yeah. needed, you know, as a, as a villainous kind of whole that the, the movie presents, it's sort of two quite fairly lightweight villains. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And a, and a decent henchman, but I think it could have done with someone who was just more ruthless. I think it could have just lent the film a higher sense of dread and threat with, with someone a little bit more threatening in that role. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Let's have another one from you, James. Okay. Um, now, I know with this, I think with this one, I'm going to say you've mentioned previously that if he had a different name, you, you might actually like the villain a bit more. Uh, but I'm going to go with Charles Gray's version of Blofeld because even if I did change his name... The, there is the stupid moments where he dresses up as a woman um, to to try and kidnap Tiffany Case, um, and he has a escape pod called a Batho Sub. Um, yeah. I, I, Are you it, looking at my list there? <laughs> might as well be. Uh, I just think, obviously, he is Blofeld, and the previous iteration of Telesavalis's Blofeld is so different to this one, and it. Even if he wasn't Blofeld, I still probably would put him in this list. Yeah, I mean, I think the kindest thing you can say about the Charles Gray Blofeld is that he's just extremely lightweight. Yes. And and, and just one of the sort of lower stakes villains, and Blofeld shouldn't be that. Yes, his plot is, you know, high threat, but he's never a, a threat himself. He, he seems like he would be relatively easy to deal with. Mm. Um, there's problems with other Blofelds, as I said, like Donald Pleasance, Telly Savalas. They never seem like they're the guy who was in those early films. But, you know, we've discussed our own private uh, 
fan theory around Blofeld and how it actually kind of works to imagine them as doppelgangers and doubles and things like that of of some guy still higher up um, to create this web of intrigue and, and a smokescreen that Bond can never penetrate. It allows you to analyse each performance individually rather than compare it to a previous one. Taken on their own merits, Donald Pleasance is a, an iconic look, but he's not that calm, deep, threatening voice that we've heard. Telly Savalas is a sort of more physical but intelligent kind of almost like a mobster but again not really the guy behind the screen or the guy uh you know feeding fish to his cat <laughs> so that fan theory which i don't enter into with any real seriousness but it does allow me to take each one on its merits but even if you do that like you say charles gray's blofeld is just a weak one yeah yeah, yeah. however there is a worse blofeld <laughs> Is that big? That's my or? next pick. <laughs> it's Christoph Waltz. Okay. Okay. He now. could have been a great Bond villain, but there's something about his performance that seems to be attempting to distill this notion of a Bond villain down to its most basic essence of calmness, of stillness still with a kind of overused Christoph Waltz attitude to it where I'm every now and then I'm going to just say a funny word in a funny voice and it sounds like you've taken what's his name Lander from Inglorious Bastards mm. but you've just watered him down and you've taken off the R-rated language and the sort of Tarantino-esque edge you've rounded him off and you've squidged him and you've squashed him into a more mainstream, accessible version of a character like that. And you, you've just still had him say his kind of cuckoo, quirkiness, <laughs> hello. But the performance of it itself, it's kind of just like, this is nothing new. And it should be from someone who's more than capable of delivering like a career best, series best villain performance to see him kind of just retread with less enthusiasm a role he's more or less done before was a bit disappointing and then you get into what they did with the character itself mm. which you just think you have stripped this character of all threat that it ever once had because you've taken this character who was once untouchable and unintimidatable you know just <laughs> this person who was the head of specter this terrorist organization that spent its time threatening politicians and mm. people around the world that just had little operations going on all over the place in thunderball you know let's check in with this branch let's check in with the french division and you've taken that guy and you've said actually no he's done it all for bond all to get back at Bond. It was all for him yeah. because of some daddy issues he once had. I mean, they literally did the gold member Austin Powers plot <laughs> and expected us to take it seriously. <laughs> yeah, I never even made that comparison, actually. Um, um, so for me, it was one of the worst handlings of a character, that, like an established character that I can think of. Yeah. I think No Time to Die made a couple of steps towards improving the character. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. By sort of suggesting that Spectre would have existed anyway, it sort of downplayed the whole it was all because of you, Bond, little brother kind of aspect. Well, that's, see, that's the, the whole personal element just really ruined it for me. But Spectre was just terrible from a plot perspective. 
I mean, it lessens the effect of Skyfall in in retrospect just mm. by attempting yeah, yeah. to convince us that Silver was in any way working for Spectre, which we know he wasn't if you watch Skyfall. I don't know why Sam Mendes would agree to that. I mean, that's the danger of a more connected universe that they attempted with Daniel Craig's is that one film can end up damaging another. Yeah. Because I think Daniel Craig's series was a really promising start that got lost along the way, attempted to get back on track, but it actually got back on a different track. And then licensing things changed the producers' motivations, changed their priorities. They started building towards a sort of post-Marvel style continuity that they hadn't planned for in the beginning. And what you end up with after five films is this sort of track-hopping sense that Mm, yeah they went in one direction then they hard right and then they course corrected and then they sort of swerved and it's it, it feels like a car sort of snaking out of control down a street yeah um and the overall sense at the end of it is just one of dissatisfaction and the handling of blofeld is a huge missed opportunity mm-hmm. um from that perspective so we've touched upon a couple of uh, main villains there and why they failed. And they all failed for different reasons, I think. But mm-hmm. if you were to just do a henchman list, I think it would be difficult to narrow it down because there's a lot of terrible henchmen that just kind of barely get a word, barely get a line, barely get a name. Yeah. So it's hard to distill, you know, I, I haven't counted them, really. Um, unless I've seen them as like a missed opportunity for something better. Yeah, yeah. But really, I'm focusing on, you know, again, that sense of if you're going to include a character into a film and you've already got your hero and you've already got your villain, then the hench person, the right hand man or woman should provide a different texture, a different flavor, a different feeling, a different mood, a different archetype. And where they don't or they don't iterate on something and bring something unique or if it's just literally like, oh, yeah, remember that character? Well, here they are again, but not as good then that's where I would class them as being weak. And, you know, that would lead into probably my first choice, if that makes sense to go in that way, was because I mentioned Fiona Volpe, and I think, you know, a second-rate template cookie cutter, here's that character again, but not as good, is Helga Brandt from Uh, You Only Live Twice. Well, okay. And we spoke about this in the You Only Live Twice episode. I don't think we need to talk at length about her, but everything that Fiona Volpe did well was because they allowed her to develop with time and gave her scenes that reinforced her ability and capability to direct the men around her and to lead and it feels like making you only live twice they attempted to sort of shortcut to having this same archetype the same redhead the same moments of seduction and betrayal but without any of the contextual scenes that suggest that she's capable or deserves respect or could be in any way a threat or a genuine leader. She's just presented as someone beautiful and weak. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 fair enough. So, do you have any others? Uh, I'm going to say two because I, really they count as one. Um, yeah. I think you probably might know what I'm about to say, but uh, I'm going to go for Bambi and Thumper. That's fair. Um, <laughs> uh, they don't play play a big part in the film, but. They're meant to leave a big impression, and they they are just. We don't need to talk too much about Bambi and Thumper anyway, as we mentioned a lot about them in the Diamonds Are Forever episode. But um, 
But yeah, it's fight bond in the most slow motion way possible. Yeah, I think we mentioned in that episode how they they, they always appear in those compilations. Yeah. But really, their part in the movie is nothing more than that. It's like they were created to be in a trailer. And they yeah. don't bring anything yeah, beyond yeah. just the odd oh there, there's that shot of him getting kicked yeah but that that's all <laughs> yeah and they're, they're easily dispatched I, by a bit of water you know all the best to them i hope they were able to live off the conventions for, <laughs> for many years yeah and the appearances yeah. and the signings but they're in the film for like two minutes yeah yeah, yeah. it's it's tough to draw a, a distinction between a character that's just not very interesting and a character that's a failure to be all they could be you know, characters like Hans from You Only Live Twice or Chang from Moonraker uh, or Shandor from The Spy Who Loved Me, they're just sort of generic archetypes. They they don't bring anything to that character. They're not bad. They're just dull and uninteresting. Yeah. I almost mentioned as a positive, just to stir the pot, really, I was going to bring up Elvis from Quantum of Solace. Yeah, I, 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 I had Elvis, but then I removed him. Uh, He's not. I mean, I, I like him for the same reason that I've said before, of just like something different, a different type. Like physically, intimidating wise, you know, obviously very weak, ineffectual, but memorable to me at least. He makes me smile. He doesn't frustrate me uh, when I watch that film. Um. Um, I suppose certain characters are highlighted as being weak when they're in a film that otherwise purports to be attempting to hit all those iconic marks of being a fan favourite. Uh. Um, I'm going to single out Patrice in Skyfall. Okay. Because I feel like that film in many ways attempted to be a crowd-pleasing return to form after the miss that a lot of people thought Quantum of Solace was. And there was a lot riding on it with the anniversary that year and the Jubilee, and there was a lot of British pride that year yeah, with the yeah. Olympics and all that. And I feel like that film is missing that kind of classic henchman with some kind of claw or something, you know? And what we got instead was a very bland, forgettable character. You're right. No, I agree. Um, he's he's in the train fight, and then he just get, he gets killed in the in Shanghai, doesn't he? But but why not make him a mem- little bit more interesting yeah. in some way? Because he's he's he plays a significant part of uh, of Skyfall's opening act, essentially. Um, yeah. But like you say, he is forgettable, and if he's playing such a big part, then we should have more characterization to him. Mm. I mean, he's a little like Edmund Slate from Quantum of Solace, but I think the difference is that Skyfall is so often celebrated as being this sort of modern-day classic. You know, it's like the mm. Goldfinger of its age. This, you know, we took a break from the Spectre storyline to do Goldfinger, and we took a break from the Quantum storyline to do Skyfall. It was the most watched film. In many, many years, people came back to the series for Skyfall. Yeah. And you just think, in so many ways, Sam Mendes was trying to hearken back to the older films. He was introducing those elements that had been phased out in Casino Royale. You know, he was introducing Q. He was introducing the DB5 and some of the gadgetry. Why not make this 
relatively significant secondary antagonist have something of interest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Why not? You know, even the guy in uh, No Time to Die had like a bionic eye or something. (laughs) (laughs) No, I agree. So there we go. That was a nice conversation there about some of our favorite villains and henchmen and henchwomen from the series uh, and some of our least favorite and why that is. I feel like we've barely scratched the surface. So if this is a topic you want to come back and talk about at some point in the future, James, I'm sure we will. Yeah, and I'm sure um, when we cover some of the films that we've we've not got round to, we'll go into more depth then. But for now, we'll leave it there. That was our episode on best and worst villains. Let's play games with James. Games with James. Games with James. Okay, James, I'm going to have to send you a few links in order to do this one. Okay. So, James, we've just been talking about some of our best and worst villains and henchmen from across the series, and I thought I'd keep the games with James this week on topic. So, we are going to play... Oh, what's this long-winded title? This is Guess the Villain from the 10 Seconds, or thereabouts, interview clip with the actor... Who played them? <laughs> I like this. Yeah, okay, cool. So I've sent you a link. In that link are, I think, 12 numbered files. Yes, I've got the clips, yep. So when you're instructed to do so, please click on the one that I tell you to click on and not the others. Okay. You may listen to it once or maybe twice and tell me who you think that villain is. Okay. But first, would you mind providing me with a sound that can be used if and when you get a question correct? Ooh, well, I'll try and go for lines that villains say to keep in line with the theme. So I'm going to go with a an Elliot Carver one and go, delicious. Yes, I think I used delicious when we did your James Takes Over episode. Oh, did you? But, oh. Uh, <laughs> no, we can use that. That's yeah, fine. So, okay. And uh, could I have a sound for when and if you get a question wrong. Um, I'm just looking at my list of films here. Oh, we'll go for. Um, You're lying. No. Can you tell what villain that was? That was Renard. Yeah, well done. Yes. Well yeah, done. Yeah. It took a while. <laughs> okay. Without further ado, here is clip number one. So I make it to the lecture hall. And uh, she pulls me in the class. She goes, hey, are you ready to do this? I go, yeah, I'm going to get my point. <laughs> okay, I'm going to stop it straight away. It's, it's, it's Rami Malek as Safin. Delicious. That is correct, yes. Yeah. The, again, this is another quiz where you may end up getting them all, but I thought it'd be fun anyway. So, I, th- uh, I think it'll be tough. Okay, number two. But I really studied, and he gave me the passion that I still have. For the English language. I love the English language. Same passion for love... America and democracy? Well, well that is, uh, goes without saying. Is it... Is it Kamal Khan, Louis Jordan? 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 Whatever. Uh, is it Kamal Khan? Delicious. Yes, it is. Oh. Correct. Well done. Yeah, quite a distinctive uh, accent there. Yeah, see, Very see. suave. Uh, okay. Number three. Three. <laughs> doch einen gewissen Bammel hatte mm-hmm. vor dem ersten großen amerikanischen in Hollywood zu drehenden Film. I'm gonna go with um, 
Goldfinger himself, um, Gert Froby, or Froby, Froby, you know. That is incorrect. Oh, you're lying. No! Who was it? That was Kurt Jurgens, oh, who played really? Stromberg in God. The Spy Who Loved Me. Wow. I've never heard him speak uh, other than within the confines of the film. So there we go. Um, I'm glad whenever you get at least one wrong, it means the quiz is not too easy. So thank you. Okay. okay. Coming up next, number four. Et voilà, cette femme étonnante. Et ben, je suis très heureux. Françoise amène quelque chose de très vivant, et on croit vraiment qu'elle est là. Enfin, <rire> avec son humour et puis ses moments de joie, ses moments de, de consternation quand elle découvre cette, ce bidonville. Oh, okay. So the man sounds French. I was going to say Matthew Almerick, um, but it doesn't sound like him. Um, so, I, who else is a French villain? Um, I can't think off the top of my head, so I'm just going to go with Dominic Green. It's not him, I know, it's, it doesn't sound no, like No, I think him. you know it's not correct, is it? No. You're lying. No! That is the actor Michel Lonsdale, who plays oh, Hugo Drax. Oh, of course. God's sake. Okay, number five. Every year they come to us, and Jamie does the cooking, which is wonderful. (laughs) Uh, We give a party for the street. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, in the morning. Then we have our presents after lunch. This doesn't sound like an interview that happened uh, in in proximity to the films, at least, surely. Um, I I can only presume it's, it's it's an actor who's aged... So, um, I'm going with Doctor No. You're lying. No! Well, I've stopped worrying if the quiz was too easy and started to worry (laughs) if it was too hard. That was not Doctor No, I'm afraid, no. That was the legendary actor Julian Glover. Really? Christatos in For Your Eyes Only. Yeah, that's definitely an older interview. Um, Along with... Walter Donovan in yes. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Uh, yeah, no, uh, by older interview, I assume you mean he is an old man in that interview. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. Which he is, yes. Yeah. Um, but he's also been in Game of Thrones. And, yeah, so uh, I've not seen him in anything for a long time. Very charming man by the sounds of that. Yes, interview. yes. Okay. Number six. Number six. Het zit elkaar niet in de weg omdat ik een waanzinnige planner ben. Ik heb een, gewoon een agenda waar ik dingen inschrijf. En dan soms is een hele week, dan staat er alleen maar atelier onder elkaar. Dan neem ik niets aan, omdat ik weet dat ik die week moet besteden aan schilderen. Oké, okay, so I'm just going to go and call it for Matthew Armerich for Dominic Green. Do you think he was speaking French, do you? I didn't listen to all of it, I just cut it off straight away. Um, but it sounded like French. <laughs> Did you not listen to the whole thing? No, I thought I just presumed it sounded a bit like him. Oh, overconfidence, James. I'm sorry, that is not correct. Oh, man. You're lying. No! That was Jeroen Krabbe, who plays Koskov. Oh, really? Number seven. Okay. Fox Searchlight, who'd made it, um, they saw the first cut of this thing and they went straight to video. That's what they said. The guy, the, the, the producer at the time, Umberto, he kind of begged Fox Searchlight and said, look, we've got, we've got 100 movies here. This guy shot the ass off this, this thing. So that's got to be Robert Carlyle as Renard. Delicious. 
That is correct, James. Well done. You are back on track. Hey. Yeah, well done. Quite recognisable voice there. Yeah. Let's let's keep this streak going. Okay, number eight. Pues se creó desde el principio, desde lo que estaba escrito en la página, que es lo que hay que prestar atención. Realmente, qué posibilidades tiene eso. Yo vi muchas posibilidades. Hablé con Sam Mendes. El medio muy buenas. So I'm going to go with Javier Bardem for that one. Delicious. That is correct. Well yes. done. If you listen carefully, you can actually he hear him say Sam, Sam Mendes. Mendes. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> but to be honest, I did think it was him before he said that. So, uh, okay, well done. For the record. Uh, number nine. I was training to teach art, and you had to do a subsidiary course, and I was told the easiest course to do that required the least amount of work was the drama course. Oh, God, I don't know who that could be. Um... I'm just gonna say. I mean, I know it's. I know it's not. Um, I'm just gonna say Red Grant. You're lying. No. Oh dear, James. <laughs> no, that is Jonathan Price. Oh my God! Why did I not think of him? Why? Who played just, Elliot Carver? I, I don't know why I didn't think of him. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's silly of me. Right. Never mind. Okay. Yeah. Number. 10. He refused to have his hair shaved under his doctor's orders. So I had a little meeting with him one day in Madrid and he said, uh, how do you feel about having your head shaved? Hmm. It does sound a bit like Robert Shaw. But it also doesn't... I'm just going to go with Robert Shaw, Red Grant. Delicious. Correct. Well oh, done. Oof. Okay. Well done, James. Right. And okay. uh, number 11, the penultimate one. Can nicht so gut Deutsch sprechen. Ich, ich, habe nie, ich habe nie studiert. Ich habe nie gelernt. Ich habe auf Deutsch gesungen und gedreht. Das habe ich zweimal gemacht. Uh, you know, it actually sounded like Christopher Lee putting on an accent. It could be Largo, um, or it could be Le Chiffre. Um, can I play it? I'm just going to play it one more time. One more time, go on. Can nicht so good Deutsch sprechen. Ich, ich, habe nie, ich habe nie studiert. It's not the chief. Um, I'm just going to go with Largo. You're lying. No! James. Yeah. That was Christopher Lee. That was Christopher... I, I told you it sounded like Christopher Lee. <laughs> God damn it. Why does he... Multi, is he... Multilingual Christopher Lee. Oh my God. I love that that worked. <laughs> okay, and the final one, number 12. Okay. There were times when on the cinema screen I've been soft and sentimental, sometimes almost romantic. Times I play mean, it's for money. When I'm being soft and sentimental, I like to do it because that's my real nature. He talks in a very cool way there. Um, it's Telly Savalas, it's got to be. Delicious. Yes, of course it is. Yeah. Sounding very, very cool indeed. Yeah. Almost Orson Welles. Yeah, yeah, there. yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, you finished on a high. Yeah. yeah. By my count, I think you got about six out of 12, so 50-50, but I will let the text-to-speech confirm that, as per tradition. Ah, yes, the legendary James Turner wit, or at least half of it. He scored half. He's a half-wit. Or, moron, if you prefer. Oh, that's harsh, that. That shouldn't be allowed to be said. <laughs> I, every time, I appreciate your reactions. Just <laughs> reacting to nothing and just putting your trust completely in me. You sort of dictate how it has to go, but 
I appreciate you playing along. So how did you find that, James? I, I thought it would be a doddle. Uh, I, the, the only one I thought would be like, oh, he'll throw a, a golfing one in because I know he was dubbed and stuff. So I thought, oh, anyone who speaks German, it'll be Goldfinger. And obviously I was completely wrong. And there were many yeah. ones that fooled me, even though even ones I should have got. I should have got the Jonathan Price one, to be fair. That was the Bond villain interview actors voice clips quiz <laughs> with games with James. Yep. One day I'll get them all right, but that today is not that day. But it is not today. Please mute James. And there you have it. That was our episode on the best and worst Bond villains and hench people. Stay tuned for our next episode. In the meantime, you can contact us on social media at BondJamCast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I will keep calling it Twitter until I'm forced not to. And follow us on all of those to stay notified as to when our next episode will be coming up. And in the meantime, you can leave a rating or a review on your podcast platform of choice. Five stars, please. And until then, James. Keep spreading that jam. Oh, don't forget to spread that jam. Oh, oh, I said it wrong there. I've ruined the threw whole, me whole off thing. I started the whole podcast again. I Don't forget fell to off, spread that. fell off my chair. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget to spread that jam, baby. Oh, oh I don't like that. Sorry, no. sorry. Don't forget we'll to go spread with it. that we'll, I mean, we'll go with okay, it. Okay. Just cause leave them with a feeling of unease. <laughs> but don't do that again. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Cheerio. Cheerio.